if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. As we get started now at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the 18th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2020. Coming up on the program today, we are going to, we've got a couple of great guests. We're going to talk about the psychology of everything that's going on from police officers to citizens with respect to the uh, ongoing battle, the war, if you will, over policing in America and over race in America. There is a psychological element to this that needs to be discussed, and we will discuss it with Dr. Keith Ablow. He'll be joining us at 935. He is uh, an author, by the way, as well. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to him about his book uh, that discusses the ups and downs and the psychological effects of the 45th president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump. So we got all of that coming up with Dr. Ablo at 9.35 at 10.10. As it is Thursday, you know what time it is. Time to be enlightened by the wisdom and the teachings of Dr. Everett Piper, uh, who will be joining us at that time. Before that, in between that, and after that, of course, we will be talking with you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just fine to get you here. So uh, Dr. Ablo at 9.35, and Dr. Piper coming up at 10.10. I will not promote the use of social media right now, as I've told you for the last several days. Uh, I won't even ask you to send me messages uh, on Twitter and Facebook because uh, of uh, what they stand for and what they are doing to this country, knowingly and and, uh, intentionally. Yesterday, in fact, not only will I not promote social media on the program, yesterday I stopped using it altogether, albeit just for a short period of time. It was around uh, 4 o'clock maybe yesterday afternoon, three, 3 or 4 o'clock, somewhere in that neighborhood. I was doing some other work, and I saw a story, and it came up, and I started to uh, post a Facebook post about it. And then I stopped because I just didn't have the words. I literally said on my Facebook post that I did make, I'm done because I just can't. You ever see somebody on social media type, I just can't, in response to a story? Because, And I always thought it was just kind of a weird virtue signaling kind of a message, you know. But yesterday it became real and literal. I, I just couldn't come up with the right words to express what I was thinking. I just couldn't. 
So I literally had an I just can't moment. So I didn't even post the story. Instead, I went to my Facebook account, and I just wanted everybody to know that if you're Facebook messaging me or commenting to me or commenting on things I would posted earlier in the day, I'm not being a jerk and ignoring you. I just posted on my Facebook that I'm going social media dark until tomorrow morning's show because I just can't take any more of the quote-unquote news today. And so I did. And about a half an hour ago, 40 minutes ago, whatever, before the show, I went back on social media and I was, you know, kind of uh, teasing some of the stories that we're going to be discussing on the program today and uh, looking to see what the trending stories were for that very same reason and so on and so forth. But I, I just want you to know how unbelievably dangerous and mentally destructive social media can be. And if you do not need it, and I happen to work in a field where I, I need it, because I work in radio, and I need to see what some of the big heavy hitters in the uh, world of politics and elected office and government and society, what they're saying by way of Twitter and, and by way of social media, I share it, and I need to comment on it, and I need to push back. I kind of I kind of am in a bad situation. And I might not be being honest with myself. I think I am, but I feel like if I did not have this job, I would totally delete my accounts altogether. Even though I like doing what some people do and sharing pictures of the family or accomplishments of the kids or things of that nature, even though I might like, I, I just can't get involved in the rest of it, or at least I would not if I didn't have this job. So what put me over the edge yesterday? Why did I log off and go uh, social media dark uh, since uh, yesterday? What's it, about, I don't know, 16 hours ago or so? And I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't the charges uh, filed against the Atlanta police officer that was the worst-kept secret in, in the country. You knew he was going to be charged with murder. You knew that he was going to be sacrificed to the social media and the rioting gods that pretty much dictate everything in this country right now. You knew that after the shooting of Rayshard Brooks, after he became violent, after he attacked two police officers, and after he took a weapon from the police officers and then fired that weapon at the police officers and then was shot in response, um, you knew doggone well that the officer was going to be charged. They burned the Wendy's down on the spot. They burned the Wendy's in Atlanta down on the spot. They fired the officer the next morning. The chief of police quit the next day. You knew that the prosecutor in Atlanta that is in a runoff election, by the way, for his job, wasn't going to say, yeah, they shouldn't have fired him. No, the chief shouldn't have stepped down. No, there was nothing wrong here. He's good. You think that prosecutor is going to get reelected if he pulled that? Not a chance. Do you think social media would have been satisfied with that explanation? Ha! Do you think Atlanta would have burned anew had they cleared the officer and not filed charges? We all know the answer to these questions. Of course we could. Of course it would have. So it was the worst kept secret in America that this officer was going to be charged with murder. The fact that they overcharged him with 11 charges, again, including felony murder that could carry a death penalty uh, sentence, 
it, it might be a surprise to some people, but, but not to me, for all of the reasons that I just explained. They are sacrificing him on the altar of political correctness and at the feet of Black Lives Matter, social media outrage, and threats of rioting and looting and burning. That's what happened to this officer, and that's not, believe it or not, what put me over the top. What put me over the top yesterday and made me log off social media for 16 hours until I had to get on the air today was the fire siren in Vermilion. Did you see the story of the fire sirens in Vermilion? You know, the siren that sounds each day like clockwork, 6 p.m. in Vermilion at the Volunteer Fire Department. It's a siren alerting all volunteer fire departments to check in with the, uh, with the uh, fire department to find out if they need to report to a certain location or to actually report to that location. That's how volunteer fire departments operate, and that's how they prepare, and they have that drill essentially every day. What's wrong with the volunteer fire department siren in Vermilion, you ask? Well, it was enough to put me over the top. It was enough to drive me off the edge or over the edge. It's why I went dark, because I just couldn't. I didn't have words to type. I didn't have a statement to be made about how far we've gone. I didn't have the right thoughts coherent in my head to be able to speak to this. So I didn't. I will, I will speak to it now, after this time out, on AM 1420, The Answer. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. Into this house we're born. So, people texted me yesterday after they saw my Facebook message and asked me, what, what, why did you log off? Why are you not doing social media? And, at least temporarily, as I announced. And so I explained to them what put me over the edge. Because I couldn't explain it on social media, because I just couldn't type. I, couldn't, I didn't have the words. It's just one of those moments where I just said, I, I just can't. I didn't know what to say. And, in fact, right now, people are still on Facebook right now saying, Bob France, please explain. Please explain the Vermilion Fire story. Okay. I'll explain the Vermilion Fire story. Every day at 6 p.m., the Vermilion Volunteer Fire Department sounds the siren. It's the siren that alerts all volunteer volunteer firefighters uh, about emergency calls It sounds to warn them about emergency calls on their cell phones and pagers. They're an extra alert. When the siren goes off, it means one of two things, the mayor of Vermilion, Ohio says, Jim Forthover. When the siren goes off, it means either report to the fire station immediately or check the fire station for where the location of the emergency is and get there right away. It's the nature of volunteer firefighting. It's not new. It was determined, according to the mayor, during a Black Lives Matter march in Vermilion back on June 6th, 
that the fire siren sound was racist. You want to know what put me over the top? The notion that the fire siren scared black people and warned them to get out of town. The mayor declared, this is from Fox 8, a Fox 8 news story on this. The mayor declared that the Black Lives Matter protesters said to him that they had heard there was something that suggested the siren meant that people of color should get out of town. That was news to me, the mayor said. I had not heard that. Some Vermilion residents said they grew up believing the city was a so-called sunset or sundown town and that the sirens were a warning used to describe a racially segregated community where people of color must leave by sunset. Most residents told about that story said, that's garbage. That's a myth that's now being exploited because of the racial turbulence in the country. One Vermilion wife of a volunteer firefighter said, Every time somebody whines about something, they get their way, and I don't believe in it. You can't take something away from the people that it's been around he- that's been around here as long as I can remember. It's just not right. Fourth over, the mayor said, after discussing the issue with a local historian and longtime residents, he found no evidence that sirens are anything other than what they appear to be an alert to the volunteer firefighters to check in with the local fire station to see if there is an emergency and if they need to report. The mayor did allow, quote, there is racism in Vermilion, just as there is in about any town, and the case against racial injustice is absolutely worthwhile pursuing, but our siren certainly does not play in it. End quote. As a result, the sirens will continue to sound each day, and according to the mayor, they are not symbols of racism, but rather the volunteer spirit in Vermilion. Again, I'm taking that story from Fox 8 News. Thanks to them for the coverage. But that's what just... I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm running out. I'm running out of words to describe the danger that we are living in right now because of the changes that will be generational for this country as we allow the slightest bit of offense in somebody's eyes to dictate changes in policy or changes in behavior or changes in laws because of somebody taking offense to something. The siren scares black people. Stop sounding the siren. Wait, what? No, that's a real thing, and it just follows a long line of other things. Such as the idea that Gone with the Wind reminds people of the Civil War, and of slavery, and of mistreatment of African Americans at the time. So we have to either cancel Gone with the Wind, or uh, take it off the air until it can be followed on air by a panel discussion of race experts uh, explaining why it's okay, or more likely, 
explaining why this terrible movie is still going to be shown, even though it it uh, celebrates or commemorates in some way uh, the horrors of of the slave slavery era in the United States and the Civil War. By the way, in which hundreds of thousands of people fought and died to end slavery. It is the cancel culture in general. So yesterday was just one of those days where, I mean, the news just kept piling up. We have the Supreme Court decision from this week, destroying freedom of religion in this country. We have, we have uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization, and I'm always going to delineate Black Lives Matter, the organization, from the statement that Black Lives Matter, because of course they do. Every single life in America matters. Uh, and, and there's no question about that. But the Black Lives Matter organization uh, continues to fan the flames of dissension and division and blaming white America for virtually everything that has gone wrong to a black or in a black American family today. Every day that we see something, well, this offends people because of this, you know, stereotype. This offends a minority group or a protected class. Doesn't have to be a racial minority group. Uh, it can be again the LGBT community or anything else. This offends, that offends. So this must go, and that must go. And there comes a point where we have to say enough is enough. At Cornell University Law School, a new story. Again, cancel culture. We have to cancel William A. Jacobson, a longtime law professor at Cornell University. The stu- there are student groups organizing a boycott of this professor's courses, telling them, do not go and attend these classes. Yes, the group that started the boycott was the Black Law Students Association. Apparently, that's a thing. Apparently, equality and colorblindness are not in vogue at Cornell. Apparently, you can't just be law students. You have to be black law students or white law students. Not sure if there's a Latino Law Students Association at Cornell or not. Not sure if there's an Asian Law Students Association at Cornell or not either. But I do know there's a black law students association, and they circulated an email to the Cornell Law School community uh, demanding that students not take classes of William Jacobson. Why? Because Professor William Jacobson, who runs a website that provides news analysis from a conservative point of view, in other words, not indoctrinated in the nonsense spewed forth by CNN and MSNBC and ABC and the like, because legal insurrection, Professor Jacobson's First Amendment protected website ran an article on June 4th reminding everybody during this racial strife that hands up, don't shoot is a non-starter because it was the fabricated, disproven narrative from the Michael Brown case in Ferguson, Missouri. That's enough for him and his class to be canceled. Colin Kaepernick who has also fostered so much racial division in this country, now being lauded by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and requested to guide the league on social justice policies. Tim Scott, an African-American Republican senator, on the floor of the Senate introducing a a Republican-drafted bill to help solve some of the policing issues that do exist, a police reform bill, 
is demeaned and mocked as being a token by liberal Democrat Senator Dick Durbin, called this black man, whose position and title apparently don't matter, whose education, whose service to the country, called him a token, said that his bill was a token, half-hearted approach. Every single liberal Democrat senator was asked, all of them, if they would repudiate Dick Durbin's statement of Tim Scott as a token, and every single one of them refused to do so. You add all of these things up, and I'm not, that's one fiftieth probably of the list that I could read to you, and it's enough to drive all of us away from social media, and quite frankly, just away from socializing, period. Because it can't be done safely in America right now. And not with our First Amendment rights still being protected. I think we need our guest that's coming up, maybe more than ever. We need a psychologist to help us through this. Dr. Keith Ablow, psychiatrist actually for 25 years, a Fox News contributor, will join us next on AM 1420 The Answer. Thirty-six. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thank you for being with us. I do want to get to your phone calls. We had two guests today. The first of which is here now, and perhaps uh, with uh, without a moment to spare, uh, we need some psychiatric or psychological counseling right now because this country is in a very very dangerous and dark place. Dr. Keith Ablo uh, is a 25-year veteran psychiatrist. He's also a Fox News contributor. He's also an author. His latest book, Trump Your Life, 25 Life Lessons from the Ups and Downs of the 45th President of the United States, joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Ablo, good to have you. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. I kind of meant what I said. I, um, You know... First of all, I'm going to read a statement that you've uh, you've mentioned uh, or that you've made rather, uh, and then I want to talk about it. For an executive order forbidding certain behaviors by law enforcement officials could be an important part of police reform. Equally or more importantly, we should be aiding officers in dealing with the incredible stress of serving us, including the risk of PTSD, especially if they come from military backgrounds. I would venture that more than 99 percent of uh, uh, police officers deserve our support and our help, not our contempt. Uh, and you're talking about the psychological health of cops, which I want to dive into, Dr. A. Blow, but I want to talk about the psychological health of the country, of everyday average citizens who are seeing cities burn, who are seeing governments fall, seeing takeovers of zones of major American cities, seeing racial crimes being on the uptick, not majority over minority, but minority crimes being committed against um, uh, majority, in other words, black versus white or black on white. And and it's making a lot of us very, very stressed to the point where we don't want to talk about it anymore. We don't want to see it on our television screens. We don't want to see it on social media either. Do you think that we are at a tipping point from a psychological health standpoint uh, among the population of this country, Dr. Ablo? Well, I, we definitely are. And, and one of the reasons is because people should and do rely on truth as a guide for them. Uh, they want for, to be able to delve deep inside themselves and say, look, this is the way I see the world, and the world kind of reflects that when I'm right. Um, right now, you can't really say that. So we've got scientists talking about 
coronavirus saying one thing one day, a different thing the next, uh, not allowing folks to have confidence literally in people who are purporting to be the best epidemiologists in the world, the guys who run the statistics, and yet saying one day you can get it from surfaces, the next day, well, no, not really. This is very disheartening. So is the notion, whoever thought, that if you laid claim to several city blocks, you could keep the police out of it and nobody would stop you. Now, that alone in Seattle gives people tremendous anxiety because when you pay your taxes and you abide by the law and you feel as though police will come and help you, it's very disheartening and anxiety-provoking to think, yes, but not if people get angry enough to take over my town and then the police are not going to respond because they're going to be so threatened and the politicians won't allow them to do that. And yet, I've participated in the system for all these years. I thought I was part of a structure that had certain rules to it. I guess not. Dr. Keith Ablo is joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Um, let me ask you to analyze, kind of be an armchair analyst uh, psych- psychiatrically or psychologically uh, of Senator Tim Scott. Um, as we talk about police reform, and I know that's what you, you, you want to talk about as well, and the psych- psychiatric makeup of police officers, particularly if they've been in the military, as you pointed out, Dr. Ablo, I want to ask your psychological or psychiatric opinion. I know there's a difference between those two things, but uh, the, your, your, your opinion on uh, Senator Tim Scott. To think that on this day, as we try to make sure that fewer people lose confidence in this nation to have the senator from Illinois refer to this process, this bill, this, this opportunity to restore hope and, and confidence and trust from the American people, from African Americans, from communities of color, to call this a token process hurts my soul. It was a very emotional statement by Tim Scott in response to Dick Durbin, who described the GOP legislation to reform police responsibly, led by the only African-American Republican senator uh, as a token. Uh, you heard the emotion in his voice. Psychologically speaking, uh, what's, what's Tim Scott thinking? What's he supposed to think when he hears something like that? Well, uh, I think uh, people now need to give one another some leeway uh what what one feels is a huge part of the equation right if you feel that a word has wounded you deeply uh that can't be discounted however it may not be that the person speaking the word meant to wound you deeply he may not hate you or people like you in any way that share characteristics with you we're at a point in our culture where people are terrified. I mean, you can be, quote-unquote, canceled for choosing, I'm going to put that in quotes, choosing the wrong word, speaking the wrong word, when you didn't really even choose it. You didn't mean to do any harm. Look at guys getting fired for saying all lives matter. Uh, you know, it's terrorizing people who feel as though they're very vulnerable to begin with right now facing an illness facing uncertain uh, prospects as to whether things are going to change dramatically in terms of their personal safety, not just from the illness, but from the fact that police, you know, they're going to start not 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 showing up for work if we keep mm-hmm. uh, 
telling them that the work they do is horrible and that they're horrible people. So psychologically, I would say to the senator, it's time to give people very much so the benefit of the doubt. Forgiveness trumps rage every time. That's I would, uh, I would qualify, but it's a human one. And and I respect everything that you just said, but I would, um, I might, I might interject one thing here about the benefit of the doubt. This statement by Dick Durbin about the effort led by the only black Republican senator, Tim Scott, as being just a token piece of legislation, came just four days after, on national television, NBC's Craig Melvin asked Tim Scott if the GOP is using him as a token. Mm -hmm. We we all know that mm-hmm. is a you know that's that's a slur that's essentially saying you didn't get here because of your own education your own knowledge Awful. your own brilliance your own co- your own competence you got here because they needed some window dressing you're here as the token right. black guy and that's very insulting to an African American and it certainly was to Tim Scott I I find it the idea that Dick Durbin just used the word token a couple of days after on national TV Craig Melvin asked him if he was question. just a token that's exactly right that's what I'm saying right. I think the benefit right. of the doubt goes away uh, that, that may well be the case. And listen, um, one thing that I think we can all agree on is that this idea that would be hurled at anyone, that you're in this place, you have this position because of, you know, you got a pass because of your color or your religion or your gender, that's nonsense. How does a person who's a United States senator, you don't ascend to that to that office because of anything other than your talent and they don't give passes to people and they don't you know this is all based on ability so i understand and i would feel deeply wounded too there's nothing unusual about that psychology Mm -hmm. i think that we're at a point where one uh also would say you know what in expressing how disappointed i am i'd rather say how disappointed i am how how low that makes me feel than how bad you are um maybe there's a way out there i'm not sure dr uh dr keith ablo is a fox news contributor he is a uh 25 year veteran psychiatrist and he has spoken uh and elaborated uh recently on the psychology or the psychiatric makeup of police officers and i read a quote from you at the beginning of the conversation i'm going to ask you to kind of expand upon that now when we talk about officers dealing with incredible stress perhaps now more than at any time uh, in, in American history, in the history of police departments, because they are always under watchful eyes of either their own body cameras, their own uh, car dash cams, or the public's, everybody's got a video camera in their pocket now. Uh, and every move they make is scrutinized. And sometimes, are they afraid? Dr. A. Blow, are they afraid to do what needs to be done to safely interact in a, in a con- conflict situation because that whatever they do is going to be recorded and they may end up in a, in a courtroom? I don't see how they could not be uh, feeling as though uh, they, they are going to be judged and micromanaged, uh, given that, yes, there are cell phones everywhere and all that. I know we can't rid the world of technology. But there are multiple factors at play here, and I do life coaching now, and and I've worked with police officers before, so I know, I know something about their makeup. You know, these folks feel like they want an they've taken an honorable position. 
they leave the house every day. We don't. Most of us don't leave the house conscious that the choice we've made of a job means we might be killed. They do. Uh, and yet, they're being demonized. So there's a lot that they have in common with veterans coming back from Vietnam who were demonized after doing the incredibly perilous work we asked them to do, insisted they do in that case. And so the bottom line is, I would say that, yes, they're now in a horrible position where they have to second-guess themselves. It would be no different, I suppose, if you recorded every neurosurgeon in the world. You had them recorded all the time, and there was the implication that neurosurgeons in general don't like a particular group of people. And so can you imagine when they were asked to do surgery on those, those good and decent people, the hand might shake. Maybe they don't want to do that surgery anymore, right? Because we're unfairly labeling a whole group based on the idea that we don't want to unfairly label a whole other group. Mm-hmm. Well, these are not bad people. There's, you know, you always have to put the asterisk now or you feel like you're going to be attacked. Sure. There's some bad individuals in every profession, no question. But these guys have often served their country and are now serving their communities. Dr. Ablo, can you mentioned PTSD, and I think that was more aimed at uh, individual, you know, police officers who perhaps served in the military, their veterans prior to taking their civilian positions as as uh, cops. Um, can a person suffer PTSD from something they didn't endure? but from seeing others endure it and thus act accordingly? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I practiced psychiatry for 25 years, as you mentioned, and then started this life coaching platform. And I know enough about PTSD to know that if you witness something, uh, you can be affected by it. And you don't have to necessarily be within 10 feet. Uh, You can be tremendously affected by things even though you weren't the person involved in the unfolding drama, you may still be involved by proxy. The reason I ask that, of course, is with the situation in Atlanta, much more so than the situation in Minneapolis, which I believe is an extreme outlier. The officer who has been charged with murder there for kneeling on the neck of a man who's already handcuffed, he's not a threat at that point at all for nearly nine minutes. That's the outlier. But with what happened in um in Atlanta and the death of Rayshard Brooks, which was a very peaceful um, situation until he realized he's going to jail because the cuffs are out now, and now he decides to fight. I'm wondering if every officer watching that doesn't develop some sort of a mental picture and, and maybe suffer from the trauma of that and saying the next time somebody, anybody, even moves their hand away from a handcuff, they're going to let them walk. Because how can I possibly affect an arrest here if it's going to get physical? And if it gets physical and I defend myself, I might end up on trial. You might end up on trial. You might end up on the national news. You might end up demonized on the front page of any newspaper. In or you might end up in a box. In or you might end up in a box. And so uh, there's no pretense here of fact-finding. There seems to be very little interest in saying of the officer, and of course, you know, well, let's say, you know, of course it's a tragedy when unfolded. Nobody wants to see their son or dad uh, end end his life as a young person um, or have his life ended as a young person. But uh, the bottom line here is, uh, you know, do we know what the officer thought was in this person's hand 
Did we know whether he was absolutely convinced that there was no other weapon that this person possessed at all? Do we, do we know whether he worried that if the prongs of the taser landed in his neck and he was incapacitated, whether uh, his partner would be shot with the gun taken from his possession uh, in seconds? Uh, I don't think we know the answers to those questions. And yet, you know what, saying it on the radio, say, writing it uh, as an op-ed, anything like that, we're at a point in our country that I really didn't think we'd get to where you worry, well, you know, is that the end of my career? Is that the end of my home? Will people be here at my home to shut me down or worse? I don't see how we can allow this to be the state of affairs in a country that says that we have freedom of speech and that values deeply, we still do, we value the truth very deeply as Americans. And yet, Seeking the truth has been short-circuited because people are so mad. And they have agendas, quite frankly. It's not even just organic anger. It's agenda-driven anger, uh, and people are being yeah. canceled because that's what they've been wanting to do for a long time. Dr. Ablo, we talked a lot about mental health and of the officers, of the public, and so on and so forth. Uh, I want to remind people about your book, Trump Your Life, 25 Life Lessons from the Ups and Downs of the 45th President of the United States. It's out right now, available in stores, available on just about any uh, book website. I'm hesitant to say Amazon right now because I'm not very happy with that company. But I know you can get the, you know, I know you can get the book there as well. The author is Dr. Keith Ablo. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for your time and your explanations this morning. And the very best to you, sir. It's it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me and doing thank, the work you do. Thank you so much. It's nine fifty three. We'll come right back after this. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Nine fifty-seven. You see the, um, the the hypothetical that I just gave uh, Dr. Ablo is going to be the reality in cities all across this country. If you're a police officer, think about this for a moment, please. If you're a police officer and you are trying to affect an arrest, a peaceful arrest, one that you hope is peaceful, and you have just witnessed an officer being charged with felony murder stemming from a peaceful arrest that turned violent when the suspect decided I don't want to be arrested I've got I've got a record maybe I'm on parole I don't want to be arrested it means I'm going back to jail and so he decides to fight you and hit you You just saw an officer being charged with felony murder and 10 other counts for defending himself in that situation. If you're a cop, do you want the even the beginning? Do you want a chase to ensue? Do you want a physical confrontation? Do you want to throw hands with a guy? Do you want to tackle and have to restrain the guy? Or do you let him run? I think we all know the answer now. If you're a police officer you'd be insane to try to actually physically restrain somebody who is resisting arrest. Because if it turns into a fight, you're going to be in a position where you're either accused of using too much force, maybe you grab him to take him down and the forearm comes up underneath the chin and somebody says you used the now illegal chokehold, you're going to be going to jail, 
Or if he tries to use a weapon against you and you decide, I can't use one back, and then you get killed, there is just no winning. From now on, policing in America is going to involve put your hands behind your back, and if you don't want to, it's okay, I'm not going to make you. You run. Maybe somebody else will pick you up at another time, although he's not going to try to make you either. Nobody's going to try to make you do something that you don't want to do, because if you resist and we have to physically try to restrain you, we're going to prison. Or we're going to, or we're, we're not going anywhere, we're going home in a box. And guess what Atlanta, Georgia just did with the charges against the officer there? They just told every criminal, if you don't want to go to jail and be arrested, just resist. Run. Because nobody is going to try to harm you while you do. We just saw somebody go to, uh, get sent charged with murder for that. Nobody's going to try to tackle you, much less shoot you. Resist at every turn. The cops are harmless. They are neutered. That's the message that was just sent. It's 10 o'clock. We're going to get the news. And on the other side of the news, we're going to get Dr. Everett Piper about the shame of the United States Supreme Court this week and how religious freedom in America is about to die. Not being melodramatic, that's real. Dr. Piper will explain on AM.